Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning and a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman alongside cast and crew. Casey McAllister, Paul Fritchner, the dunce over there with the headset on per usual with a bad mustache. Brandon, say hello, gentlemen. Good morning. <laughs> Tom, how morning. are you today? I'm doing great. You ready to go? Xavier, you got sweatshirt on tonight. Big game tonight at the Sitsaw Center. Talk more about that later. Fair enough. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can find us at YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask, if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the program. You can also find us streaming on Facebook on the Chatterbox Sports page. And please flip on the notification switch. If podcast form is more your cup of tea, we're right there. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Ben goes back on the practice field today, preparing for round one of the National Football League playoffs. Sunday night against division rival Baltimore, kickoff at 8 o'clock. Will Lamar Jackson play? He's not done so since a week 13 knee injury against Denver. In fact, he's not even practiced. Now, the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport says Jackson hopes to be back. But he added that those who have seen him trying to run around and work out are not so sure. Tyler Huntley, meanwhile, hopes to be ready in his place in case Jackson can't go. Huntley did not play last Sunday due to a shoulder injury. Now, the Ravens haven't signed Jackson, who's a free agent, but they did lock up linebacker Roquan Smith yesterday. Five years, $100 million deal, $45 million of that is guaranteed. Highest salary guaranteed money ever in the history of the NFL for a linebacker. He's been worth it. Since trading for Smith from Chicago at the end of October, the Ravens defense has held seven of their last nine opponents to 15 points or less. Elsewhere, Giants GM Brad Holmes said Jared Goff is their guy in 2023 and 24. After leading Detroit to a 9-8 and record this season, that was after a 1-6 start, Goff is signed through the 24 season. The Washington Commanders have fired O coordinator Scott Turner yesterday after a third straight disappointing season on offense. They were 20th in the league in yards, 26th in points, and in fairness, he had three quarterbacks, none of whom played very well for any extended period of time, and they lost their running back, Brian Robinson Jr., for four weeks after a gunshot wound. College basketball, we mentioned. Xavier, ranked number 12 in the country, tips it off tonight against Creighton at the Centos Center. UC is home as well against East Carolina. Last night, the beat goes on for Kentucky. South Carolina beat them 71-68. The Wildcats are now 10-6 on the year. They may not make the NCAA tournament. North Carolina loses at Virginia, 65-58. Look out for Michigan State. It's normally their M.O. They play everybody and his brother anywhere, anytime early. They get knocked around a little bit. They're starting to get it rolling. They beat number 18, Wisconsin, in Madison last night. Ohio University, you always have to watch out for them. They knock off Ball State in Athens. That was an upset. Ball State was 11-3. Yeah. 
Miami tops Buffalo 91-80, and Dayton moves to 12-5 with an 82-58 win at Fordham. Now, coming up, Wednesday is always a big interview for us today, and we have a big one today. Former Bengals star wide receiver Tim McGee. We're going to talk with him a little bit about his career, and we're also going to talk with him about the Bengals. You see him all the time or hear him all the time on uh, 700 WLW after each and every Bengals game along with uh, Chip Ludwig. They do a nice job. You guys have listened to that show, I'm assuming, from yeah. time to time. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Anytime. <clears throat> sorry. Anytime that uh, I get through the post game with Dave Lapp and, uh, yep. and, and Dan Horde, I'm and Wayne listening Fox to him. And Wayne Foxman. Yeah, he's do, he does a really good job. I really enjoy listening to him. Do you call in, Casey? No, I do not. I do not do call you, in. you, Paul? No, I don't. You know, the one thing I like about Tim McGee, he's always been a good guy, and I was covering him back in my days at Channel 5 when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl of 89-88 season. But his perspective now uh, on the team, he pulls no punches. I mean, when they're good, he'll lay it out there. If there are things that are not so good, he'll lay that out there too. We'll talk with him about that today. Also want to talk to him. We, we asked Anthony Munoz's question when we had him on a few weeks ago. We asked Chris Collinsworth this question when we had him on. And I want to ask uh, Tim McGee a little bit about it today, uh, about, you know, reliving um, the whole Stanley Wilson thing from that Super Bowl uh, and what happened the night before the game against the San Francisco 49ers. Many of you are already in the chat. Is Tim here and ready to go? He is. He is. Timothy Dwayne Hackett McGee was born in Cleveland, Ohio in August of 1964. He went to John Hay High School. That's a city school in Cleveland. Went on to start at the University of Tennessee as a volunteer. He broke all the records. Receptions, receiving yards, touchdown receptions. Was a first-team All-American his senior year. After his college career was over, he was selected in the first round of the NFL draft by the Bengals in 86. He would be a huge contributor to the Bengals over the next eight years, both as a wide receiver and a kickoff return man. He helped lead the Bengals to the Super Bowl in 88. In fact, had a pair of very big receptions in that game. One, an 18-yarder, which set up the Bengals' first score of that game. Since retiring in 1996, he's been a very successful businessman. And we mentioned you hear him around Greater Cincinnati on 700 WLW talking about his former team. And it's a pleasure to be joined by number 85, Mr. Tim McGee. Tim, how are you, young man? You're looking good. I am doing excellent. But I will say this, Tom, in your intro, if my mother was still alive and you named, you called me Hackett opposed to Hatchet, oh. she would be coming out. She would be coming after you, man. You know, that's on me. That is on me. Where does that name come from? That, that's a lengthy name, right? I mean, most of us have one middle name. You've got two of them. See, back in the day, you got whippings for not doing what you were supposed to do. I know that. And I'm well my, aware. My, my grandmother and my mother, that's my mother's mate name. Okay. So when I turned professional, my mother's my mother's maiden name was my name all the way up until fifth grade. Then my parents got married. They weren't they weren't married, but then they got married, and then I took on my dad's last name, which was McGee. So I'm just telling you, if you go outside the studio and you see the ghost 
of a five, five foot African-American woman chasing after you, you will know who that is. <laughs> I've been hoping a five, five African-American woman would chase after me for years. I don't know about the ghost part, but uh, I mean, God bless her. God bless her. Hey, uh, let me let me ask you, you know, I, I mentioned you grew up in Cleveland. Um, and you just uh, told us about your mom and dad getting married. You took on his name when you were five. What was life like growing up in your household in Cleveland, Ohio? Well, it was fun. I'm from a, uh, you know, most people think when you're from a two parent, uh, when you're from the inner city and you went to an inner city high school, they think of dysfunction. That's, that's just kind of common. Uh, that was not my case. I had two parents. Uh, we were, you know, we scrapped. Uh, we grind. That's that's what we were taught. So I had two older sisters that beat me on a daily basis. And, you know, I learned to respect women and, and take a good punch. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, we call it the concrete jungle. But uh, there was so much. I always say this, Tom, you know, I have two degrees. I have one degree from the University of Tennessee and I have another degree from the inner city of Cleveland. So one taught me how to deal with in a professional life and one taught me how you know, to uh, use common sense and and just understand from uh, from top to bottom. And that has given me a lot of range to deal with, you know, corporate America or just dealing with kids that may not, you know, have the, you know, savviness of a uh, well-spoken, articulate uh, professional. So I, I love the range. I love, I, I love the well-roundedness I had uh, growing up. So I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. You know, it's, it, Tim, you brought it up, and, and it's interesting because you're spot on on the first perception a lot of people have. I had Bob Huggins on the program about, um, I don't know, a month ago, maybe uh, three weeks ago. Terry Nelson came on uh, a week later, and we were talking about, you know, the upbringing for so many of these kids, uh, you know, primarily African-American kids when you're talking about the inner city, but, but kids all over America, white, black, makes no difference. Um, and how rare it is to grow up in a household that has two parents around and the difference that makes in all of the things that you just talked about. It, it, it does because it adds balance and uh, you get both perspective. You know, for example, it's kind of a cross teaching my parent. My mom taught me how to treat women, so to speak, and, you know, seeing the delicate side of women and also having two, um, two girls in the house. My dad taught me how to be a man. So you, you need that. So, and, and especially at trying times, especially at when you drop a pass in the game or you lose your girlfriend or, you know, whatever happens and you do, don't do well in school or something tragic happens in the neighborhood, different parents can give you that balance. They're your go-to. You, you kind of figure out which parent to go to for certain situations. And that's why I think it's important. And, you know, kudos to the, 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 the mom that raised kids on their yep. own, the single moms and, and even the single dads kudos to them as well. But having that balance is very, very important, especially in, in, in the uh, inner city. You were a great basketball player, too. Uh, when I was getting ready for this interview, I had no idea you grew up playing with Charles Oakley. I mean, good Lord. I mean, you, you talk about a guy now put a hurt on people. Was he beating people up in basketball back when you were playing with him? Actually, he was beating people up in basketball and football. <laughs> so you, you, we, we always – I just talked to him the other day. Actually, when DeMar Hamlin got, uh, got hurt that day, he called me. We probably talked for about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, but what a lot of people don't understand about him, you know, football was his first love. So – Trust me, every Sunday, I'm pretty much going to hear from him because he loves football. He watches the game. 
and you know we we sit and, and converse and talk about it but you know he was a much much tougher basketball player than he was football player because he was able to get away with it in football <laughs> you know he always says and trust me we still have this conversation today that he could have played in the nfl he could have been a tight end he could have been a defensive end and i'm like why 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 you know you the sports you pick you were very very good at it but you know i don't know how you would be feeling on uh, on monday mornings if you were in the nfl was football your first love because you were a heck of a basketball oh, player from what i read Absolutely. I, I, you know, football was something that just came natural to me. Uh, it, it was it started on the streets. Uh, there's a story in the, in the inner city of Cleveland. We did not have middle school football or sports. And then my uh, my what would be my ninth grade year in high school, we didn't have sports at all because of that. Um, they had a teacher strike and all that. So we played. And, and I know this is the dinosaur days back when, you know, the leather face mask or leather helmets, I should say. But we played on the street. So it was a love, a passion for the game. And it wasn't really organized, but yet it was organized. So, um, yeah, although I loved basketball, and I used to always play in the offseason, I would go to Chicago and visit Oak. And I actually called him Country because of, a, of his name. So if you hear me call him Country, that's, <laughs> that's his nickname. Um, but we, I would go and play with uh, Michael and, and Horace and, and, and Scotty and all them. And, you know, it, uh, it kind of gave me a – a very clear perspective of where I was as a basketball player. Um, getting your shot blocked a lot with those guys, you know, it doesn't do bode well for your self-esteem as, as it pertains to basketball. And I had my shot blocked a lot, but I did a lot of talking because I knew if I got them on the football field, and that was the unfortunate Scotty and Mikey, they Mike, they talk all this trash about uh, basketball because I'm in their, obviously their profession, but I can never get them to come play, play some football so I can beat up on them a little bit too. I got you. I got you. Why Tennessee? Well, there's a very interesting story about Tennessee. Why I chose Tennessee, I didn't. My high school coach chose Tennessee. Again, I was telling you about the background. It was a hot mess. It was dysfunctional. The Cleveland Public Schools was. I went from John Adams High School, which was a very prominent inner city high school, to John Hay High School. And when I got there, the first words out of the coach's mouth, I, 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 he said, Sonny Harris is his name. And he, was, he came up to me, walked up, met me at the steps and, said, and shook my hand and said, how you doing? What school do you want to go to? And, and I, he turned around and I was like, school as in I'm already at John Hay. I don't really understand. Uh, he turned back around. I'll never forget. He turned back around and said, I think we can get you at the University of Tennessee. So it was never really outside of my mind to really go somewhere else. And uh, I, I remember uh, Coach Harris, you know, taking me and just to give you a, a funny story. Well, it wasn't funny at the time. I had never been without probably outside of a five mile radius of uh, of my home. That's that's just inner city living. Sure. And uh, sure. when we went on our we went took an unofficial trip to um, to Ohio State. And when they came and got me on that Saturday morning and we were going to stay overnight, I literally walked out with the clothes on my back. I had no idea you're supposed to, you know, bring a toothbrush and toothpaste and, and an overnight bag. And, I, and I'll never forget, I knew something was going on because I sat in the back seat of Coach's car. And when I sat back there, I saw him and Miss Harris look at each other and I was like, I did something wrong. I wonder if they're going to tell me. And they told me. So all's good. But he he was the one that got me at the University of Tennessee because we had John Hicks, who went to um, Ohio State, was the um, yep. Outland Trophy or Lombardi Trophy winner. Uh, he had gone to Ohio State. Then Anthony Hancock 
had gone to the University of Tennessee and it was, you know, becoming wide receiver university. And, you know, so he told me that's where I was going. And uh, my dad was pleased and I was like, okay, that's fine. And it worked out well. You know, uh, now Ohio State is considered to be, strangely enough, wide receiver U. You know, they got all these guys going in the NFL, and Olave and Wilson had monster years as rookies this year, and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Smith and Jigma, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but back in those days when you went to Tennessee, at that time it was known as wide receiver U. When you first got there, you know, in, in this day and age, a lot of guys walk out of high school. They come to these big-time programs. They're contributors, if not starters, right away. That was not the case for you right away at Tennessee, correct? No, it wasn't. That was something we had to build. Uh, we, we built our program, um, you know, starting with Hancock, then Willie Gault, Mike Miller, Daryl Wilson, so on and so forth. And, you know, then I was able to insert my talents there and uh, continue the tradition, and it's, it, it's going on today. And let me say this, Tennessee is still wide receiver university, Tom. I'm coming after you, man. Come Don't on. You ever fail how they Come on, Tim. I'm Come on, receiver. Tim. Good <laughs> Lord. That was fixed, that whole thing. That guy went in the Bolitnikoff Award. Harrison yeah, Jr. is a monster. You know it, and I know it. The kid had a great year. I give it up to him. He had a great year. Now, wait a minute. I will agree with you. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a better prospect, had a better year, and is a better talent. There's, and there, in my mind, there's no question. The problem with college football, they got they sometimes they spread things unfairly, you know, like the, you know, backup quarterback. How you know how, how these guys get these awards? Is you know that's that's another topic in itself for another day. Well, the kid had a great year though at Tennessee, and it was a shame what happened to their quarterback. Because I don't think there's any doubt about it. If he doesn't get hurt uh, there in that college football playoff this year, you know, when when you go down there. Uh, a name as the years go by that a lot of people don't talk much about anymore is Johnny Majors. Uh, you know, he was at Pitt. He comes to Tennessee. He had a phenomenal uh, coaching career. For those that don't know much about him, um, is he any different or the same kind of guy that a lot of these guys are now, you know, the big-name college football coaches, whoever they are? Or was there something different about him? You know, I thought he, he kind of set the – the bar, so to speak. I, I I look at coaches, and you know how brutally honest I am. I look at college coaches, and I think the one characteristic most of them have is they're bullies. And and Coach Majors was no no different. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's, it's just they motivated through fear. Fear of taking your scholarship. Fear if you didn't, you know, if you didn't do this, there was going to be consequences for it. So he, to me, he fit right in with the modern-day coaches um, you know, he was not, you know, he was a lot of positive things, a whole lot of positive things. And the one thing I loved about him is he was a communicator. But like most programs, unfortunately, those who produced for the university and particularly the uh, the football program was treated eh, a little bit different than the ones that didn't produce. They were kind of thrown to the wayside. So you know, uh, but Coach Majors, his personality, his strategy, his understanding of the game, and he was just so damn classy. And that's that's the one thing I absolutely loved about him. He was so classy, the way he carried himself, the way he's dressed, the way he made us carry ourselves in the way. And he let you be the individual. He didn't try to change your personality. You didn't have to, you know, go around saying yes, sir, no, sir. You know, if, if, you know, I, I just thought he was real, really grounded. But don't get me wrong, he was a hard ass. He was, I mean, you know, he, hmm. he can he can get after you. 
Your senior year in 85 is one of the most memorable seasons in Tennessee football history, and it's a rich history. You have the, the great quarterback, uh, Tony Robinson. He has a knee injury against Alabama. You had lost the week before, the only loss you had that year against um, Florida. But down the stretch, uh, Daryl Dickey comes in. You end up winning the SEC, and then you win the Sugar Bowl. Uh, if Robinson doesn't go down, is that a national championship team at Tennessee? No doubt about it. Tony Robinson and I, I God, I, I, people just hadn't been able to appreciate his talent. He was the most talented quarterback that I've ever been around. Uh, really? Oh my God. He was, he was incredible. And, and I say that most people don't have, if you're, if you didn't follow him or see him, but that was one kid that literally had it all. I mean, he had the arm, he had the smarts, he could he just had the total package and you know, that was so unfortunate that we lost him uh, with that knee injury and it changed the whole dynamics of our team. And, you know, I remember I was never a uh, considered a knucklehead. And the only time I ever got the, uh, I would say the nerves, the guts to uh, kind of storm into a coach's meeting was you mentioned that we, we, we tied Georgia tech because the, we lost Tony the week before and we changed, we tried to change our offense and customize it to Duro and do this and do that. And I, I would just, that's the only time in my, my four year college career, my 10 year NFL career, I actually went into the coach's office and I, I said, why don't we just be ourselves? I mean, you know, let Duro just do a same play, same thing, everything, and we'll adjust. So if he throws the ball, not as long as Tony, if it's short, we'll come back and get it. Uh, but, we are who we are. And, you know, I was shocked because, number one, when I went out, I just I was probably as all nervous as ever because that's just kind of outside my personality box. Uh, but, you know, all in all, they they listened. Uh, Coach Cutcliffe and, and Coach Majors and Kippy Brown, they they get yeah, let's give it a shot. And uh, we did. And, and we got on a roll. We ended up playing Miami in the um, in the uh, Super Bowl. I mean, Sugar Bowl, which was the funniest experience I've ever had because we were the only underdogs and on the All-American trips where I had, you know, Bo Jackson, Leslie O'Neill, David Fulcher, you know, Willie, uh, Willie, yeah, Willie, not Willie Anderson, Willie Smith, the tight end from Miami. And they talked so much trash all week long. And the the irony of it all was we were the only team that won. <laughs> they all lost. That's funny. <laughs> Your first-round pick by the Bengals is a Cleveland kid. A, did you grow up a Browns fan? B, did you grow up despising the Bengals? Uh, a, I love the Browns. I absolutely love the Browns. The Cowboys was, you know, one of my favorite teams where they were America's team. I didn't really know much about the Bengals, quite honestly. Even when I was drafted, when they drafted me, I had no idea who the head coach was because – you know, I was considered a, you know, one one or first first or second receiver to go off the board. And so the Bengals was picking 21st. So well, actually they were picking, I think, 14th and 21st with Joe. And they ended up picking Joe Kelly. So they didn't need a receiver. It's like, why in the hell would they pick me? They got Eddie Brown, who was a rookie of the year. Chris Collinsworth, all pro. What in the world are they going to do with me? So I never worked out with them, Tom. Never. Didn't know who they were, know nothing about them. So it was not anti-Bengals or pro-Bengals. They just was not on my radar. And when they um, when I heard I got drafted, I am telling you, man, for I would say a good two hours uh, towards the way, probably four hours, my agent and I, we were just waiting around for us for me to get traded. I, I really thought I was going to get traded, but that didn't happen as we as we know now.
Um, when you get to Cincinnati, you're, you're number 85. I, I mean, I know you're asked about this all the time, but, you know, the Bengals back great. in those days, they didn't have a ring of honor. Uh, they had the great Isaac Curtis. How did you get 85 and did you want 85? Well, you know, you, it's a mixed bag of emotions. I, I walk in and, you know, you're always interested to see what number they're going to give you. Do you, you know, are you going to, as a first round pick, are you going to, you know, Mike Martin had 88 and that's the number I won college. Would I have to buy 88 or what number, you know, whatever. So I walked in and Tom Gray, who was the equipment manager at the time, uh, he put the uh, jersey in my locker and I looked at it and, and I mean, I can't repeat the word I said, but it was like, oh, you know, you fill in the blank. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a setup. <laughs> you know, how in the world do I get this legend's number? An absolute legend. And, and you know what? But, you know, it you can turn that in that that doubtfulness, that uh, concern, you turn it into a positive and say, okay, listen, listen, if I follow this guy who's, you know, in, in my very strong opinion, one of the best, if not the best receiver to put on a uniform in, in Cincinnati, uh, if I follow him and if I can just do okay, you know, they won't dog me out because you know you start thinking negative. You're like, I'm a first-round pick. You know, you're always going, I can't be a bust. I can't be a bust. So um, it, it was an honor. There's no question about it, but I, it, it was nerve-wracking at first. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Uh, you know, you start contributing more on special teams as a kickoff return guy right from the get-go. You mentioned the talent in that receiving room. Uh, but you're starting to get more and more playing time as the next couple of years go by, and now you're one of the, the, the primary weapons of this team, culminating uh, to a team that got to the Super Bowl. Well, you know, I, I was explaining to a, a couple of these guys I work with when, um, for example, they were talking about guys who should be in the, in the ring of honor for the Bengals. And in my opinion, James Brooks was the greatest running back the Bengals have ever had. When he retired, he was the all-time leading rusher. Uh, you know, Icky had a great year that year, all that kind of thing. The weapons on that team, you being one of them. I'm not so sure, Tim, that the weapons on that team aren't better than the weapons on this current team. Now, some people might say I'm crazy and the younger people are going to be like, give me a break. Would you agree with that or you think I'm off base? I would agree 100% because when you match up Boomer and Joe Burrow, you match up J James Brooks and, 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 and Joe Mixon, and myself, Eddie, and Chris with Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and, and T. Higgins. Yes, there's no question about it. Um, the old schools are going to go with us. The new schools are going to go with the uh, – the, but it's good to be in that company no matter what because it's just that LeBron – Michael Jordan debate, obviously, it, it'll never be settled, but there'll be lots of, um, of talk around the uh, dinner table about it. And I personally, I think it's a, it's an absolute honor because T. Higgins is wearing my number. Yeah. And my family, my family has some ties to T. Higgins. You know, he's from Knoxville, actually Alcoa, Tennessee. And, you know, they um, I'm thinking I'm thinking of Randall Cobb, but. Um, T. Higgins has a lot of ties with my, my family in Knoxville and they're close and all that. And yeah, it's, um, you know, when we go back, when we start thinking about that Super Bowl, that year, that run, oh man, it's, it's, um, gosh, it's just, it's so joyous because I, when you were part of it and you know, you came into the year after a down year and to make that run with the group of guys that we, we, 
we we had everything just seemed to, c- to come together and it's funny i say everything although we lost some games tom i think for the most part things just went together until the last game yeah and then the last game we we, we ran into a bus all and, and that was unfor- just an unfortunate incident that just we couldn't mentally recover from you know, I, I, I've always thought, Tim, and I've asked Chris Collinsworth, he's been on the show. I've anth- asked Anthony this question, he's been on the show. Um, I was down in Miami uh, covering the, the, the Super Bowl and the team that year working at Channel 5 as a young man. You and I are roughly the same age. I'm a year older than you are. But um, that Stanley Wilson thing, uh, you know, I, so many years have gone by now. Um, what do you remember most about that, that day before the game when you find out about it? How we found out. It was so surreal. Um, we were sitting in a, uh, we, as you know, we have uh, a team meeting the night before the game. So we're going into our meeting and, and we're never late on our meetings. Our meetings start on time. Matter of fact, as they all say, if you're not early, you're late. So we're sitting around, and, and the way it's, way it's handled for the viewers that don't know, first you go together, you come together as a team. Sam says something, uh, and then the team breaks up offense, defense. Then you break up into your subgroups, or your wide receivers, running backs, whatever. And we were sitting around waiting, and I, th- I think the meeting started at seven o'clock. And while we were waiting, uh, we we're sitting around, and Eddie Brown is on my left side because you know obviously Eddie and I were pretty close, still still are, and. You know, it gets to be like 701. Well, 701 may not mean a lot to some people, but for us, that's an eternity. And we're like, wow, we're, you know, we're running late. But it's the Super Bowl, something to expect. All right. Then it gets to be about 707. Then it's now 712. It's getting to be about 15 minutes late. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. And you can kind of tell something's going, something's eerie, something's not right. And you start taking roll calls. And, you know, it's a mental roll call at first. And then you start talking. It's like, where is everybody here? You know, just kind of looking around. And then Sam comes into the room before me personally. I didn't know who it was, but I knew something was going on. I just, again, just had no idea of the magnitude it would it would turn out to be. And then Sam comes in and, he, and you know, he, he doesn't even like address the team. He just Stanley and his first words out of his mouth was, I'm sorry to report Stanley will not be with us tomorrow. Man, you're talking about numb. You're talking about mentally numb. But the first thing you want to do, you start thinking. I remember, did he die? Did he get hurt? What the hell's going on? So everyone just started looking around. I mean, from player to player. And, you know, we're, we're all in, let's just be honest, we're all in our subgroup. So, you know, it's, you know, you're looking at the running backs going, what do you guys know? And, you know, you're looking at the black guys and go, what do you guys know? And you're like, okay, somebody knows what the hell's going on. And then you look over at Jim Anderson, the running back's coach's face, and you know it's not good. I mean, you just know it's not good. And that was the, I for me, that was the emotional letdown because you don't say things like this. This is the the BS that happens in sports. You can't say the real deal. And yeah, we can go out and put on our, you know, our poker face and and for the most part lie. And tell people, oh, we'll be all right. We'll be fine. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna do it because you're basically, you know, you're fooling yourself. You're being delusional. He was our heart and soul of our, our of our team, 
And, you know, by the way we lost him, the fact that we lost him, you can't make adjustments because he's the lead back, you know, on the pepper plays, which are the play actions. Uh, he's the lead back for Icky and, and James Brooks and so on and so forth. Remember, Icky didn't block for James Brooks and James Brooks didn't block for Icky. It was Stanley. So, you know, it, we lost. I mean, I, I personally felt from an offensive side, we lost our heart and soul in Stanley. And on our defensive side, we lost our heart and soul, which was Tim Crumrise. So we had, you know, the, the hill was just too high for us to, or too steep, I should say, for us to uh, climb it. We just couldn't climb it. You watch the Bengals play each and every week. Uh, you were in the huddle with Boomer Esiason. Um, similarities, differences between Boomer and Joe Burrow? You know what? The similarities are this. They're both leaders by nature. Organically, these guys got it. Uh, you know, I could see, you know, it's just that certain air, that certain capture the room, that certain uh, the leadership qualities that both of them have is just is something that, as they say, you just can't teach it. And, and I, Boomer just took command, not of just the offense, not just the defense, not just the team, not just the locker room and the training room. Boomer, in my opinion, took, like Joe, he took control and command of the entire organization. And those are the similarities. You can go to the physical similarities of arm strength, obviously one with left hand, one was right-handed. Success, you know, you can, when you look at them too, you go, wow, I go, because I've, I've obviously caught passes from Boomer and I see, and I cover Joe. I see a guy that basically, I see two guys that, you know, they basically had the stern will and they guided, they'll guide their teams wherever the team uh, may go. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of differences because they're both, Boomer was surrounded with talent, Joe surrounded with talent. Um, I think they're both smart. Um, the relationship, one things that people don't talk a lot about, the relationship and bond Boomer had with Sam and Joe has with Zach. That to me, that added quality to me is what really makes them special. You know, uh, Zach Taylor is, is, is still so young. Um, and look, when he first got here, he didn't have many good players. Now he does, and he continues. I think we're all watching him grow and evolve as a leader and being more comfortable as the head coach publicly. I'm sure in, in the locker room, he's been more than comfortable with that for a long, long time. Sam Weish is still one of the most beloved figures in the history of the Bengals. Um, you know, I, I get choked up just thinking about the guy because I, I just thought he was such a beautiful human being uh, all the way down to his core. Didn't mean he was perfect. Nobody's perfect. We know that. Um, but, you know, when you look at those two guys, both offensive-minded guys, uh, you know, uh, came in with that reputation. Um what are the similarities and differences from what you've been able to tell between those two guys? I, I tell you, it's this is going to sound really interesting. For me, is really interesting. Is I know we can talk about the X's and O's. We can talk about the relationship with Joe, and we can talk about the relationship with Boomer. We can talk about how uh, they had the type of experience. Sam had a lot of experience. Uh, obviously, Zach didn't, and they they grew. And like I said, I don't know what type of person Zach is because I haven't really been in a, <clears throat> let's say, intimate setting where I get to know him as a person from the heart, heart out. Sam, I obviously know. But the most intriguing similarity to me that both has 
is both of them ability to gain confidence in the ownership and have the ownership follow behind them opposed to lead them. I don't know what Zach did. I don't know what Zach said during his interviewing process, but knowing Sam, how Sam would defend us to Mike and demand certain things. And Mike would actually follow Sam leads, not all the time, but sometimes. And I'm pretty sure that happens with Zach, but whatever Zach has done to get Katie and Troy Duke and Mike to believe in his system. That's been the key to their success in my very strong opinion. I saw it materialize with Sam and I saw how Sam made just little bitty adjustments, whether it was where we sat in training camp or having a stool in front of the locker, he brought Mike along. And you know, when you have management behind you, now you have all three phases, players, coaches, and management on the same page. That's when you start getting things flowing in the right direction, both short and long-term. We're going to circle back to the current Bengals here in a minute, but I want to, I want to ask you a couple more questions uh, about your career. And, and you know, you, you have the big breakout year where you have the 65 receptions. You go for over 1,200 yards and score eight touchdowns. Statistically, anyway, it was the best year of your career. Um, when you have that kind of season, you've been surrounded by a lot of good talent. You still had a lot of good talent, but now you're starting to become more and more of the man as far as the receiver room is concerned. Chris had retired. Uh, there were a lot of things, moving parts that were starting to happen. Is there a difference between, you know, walking in and you're the second or third guy? And, you know, I, I kind of relate this a little bit from where you were when you first came in to maybe where Tyler Boyd is at times or where T. Higgins is at times since Chase has come in, and now you become the man. Is there a difference in your own mind about what it is you have to do now that you're the man? Yes, there is. And the number one thing is don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't let the ego take over because whatever got you there will continue you on that path. Once you to have the understanding for me I had a great career. And let me tell you, I don't mean great career statistically. I came into a situation where I didn't have the pressure that I had to produce right away. And by learning the number two receiver, first number three, then number two, then number one, that gave me a full range of understanding of the entire offense. So I knew you know, where the running back would be, where the, uh, the tight end should be. I knew the whole dynamics of our offense. And that type of growth made me a better number one, number two, because you're not the number one receiver every single play. Only half the game was Eddie. When I was the number three receiver, Eddie would be the number one receiver. I was going into the game. But when, you call, when we call Chris's number or my number, we had different understandings and responsibilities. And that's what I've... You know, that's the biggest adjustment. And I said this on all the media, uh, in the, all the media circles I was in, it's a matter of understanding when it's not your day that's going to make you a better number one receiver. To understand it's not your day and that will make you a better number two receiver. You can look at and judge, and that's what we do. We judge statistics. I don't judge statistics because I knew I can look at my yardage, my numbers, but I could also add 
probably about 20% of Eddie's numbers because I was the direct cause of him getting open. But that goes, that's people look at the football and don't understand the whole dynamics of a play. It was my job to get Eddie open. And when I say get him open, Eddie's job was on certain plays to beat one guy. It was my job to make sure the second and third guy were not a part of that play. So if Eddie beat that guy on what we call play action, and when Eddie caught the ball, you did not see another player chasing Eddie. And the reason being, that was my job, to make sure those two guys were taken in a different direction. So understanding that whole concept of what you have to do as a team player, yes, people label you one, two, three, but it varies. It changes at different parts of the game. It changes in your career. And to know all three, I was blessed by doing so. Let's talk about the current state of the Bengals. Uh, they've ripped off um, eight straight wins. They've been up and down, I think is fair to say, from a consistency standpoint on offense. I mean, their numbers are still really, really good, but they've had halves where they're great, halves where they're not. Now, all of a sudden, two starting offensive linemen have gone down. Uh, Collins for the year. Capo, we're waiting to find out if he'll be able to come back. Should they be playing beyond this week against Baltimore? How do you feel about this team now coming into the playoffs? You know, they're, um, first of all, you got to give credit where credit is due. Obviously, they won, I think, eight out of the last 10. Uh, they're on the road. They, I mean, they're very talented. We know that. They're very talented on the offensive side of the ball. And Coach Lou Anarumo is, you know, my most valuable player. Yep. And I just think what he's done with that defense, I mean, he's saved the offense ass so many times. It's, it's just incredible. But he, for some strange reason, he, you know, like in Cincinnati, we don't get a lot of credit. And he sure in the heck is not getting the credit that he deserves. Um, but when I look at this team, the only concern, I, I say all the positive things, so I want to understand one through nine is positive. Number 10 is a concern. The concern I have is outside of Kansas City and Baltimore, they didn't beat it. The teams didn't have winning records. That's that's that concerns me because now you have to be battle tested in tight games. Their inconsistencies at times of, of halves concerns me. Uh, when they run against a team that's working on all cylinders, cylinders, I think that's going to be the measurable and that would have happened in the unfortunate uh, game against Buffalo. Buffalo game was so important to the psyche of that ball club because it would have given them the measurable of the two teams, two foes that they probably would have to face in the playoffs, deep into the playoffs. It was probably going to be Buffalo or Kansas City. They beat Kansas City, so you have your confidence there. Now here comes a Buffalo team that's probably more well-rounded than the Kansas City Chiefs. So I thought that 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 game could have been the apex of them understanding who they really are. So I have some concerns, uh, but sometimes, you know, as they say, talent can overcome a lot of things on the on the football field and sports in general. So I'm not overly concerned about them, but uh, I think they're beatable and I think they can win pretty much every game. And I think they can lose pretty much every game. Look, we, we know what happened uh, with DeMar Hamlin. Can you draw anything, though, Tim, out of the fact that, you know, the Buffalo game wasn't even a full quarter, but you had the ball twice. One time you took it right down the field to start the game, touchdown. 
Second time you get the ball, you're going right down the field, and it looks like they're going to score a touchdown again. We'll never know. But can you draw anything from that or not really? Not really. And here's okay. the reason why. Buffalo went right down the field and scored a field goal. Yeah. So if the Bengals scores a field goal, Buffalo can go right down the field and score a touchdown. You, you have to take into account that we knew, Tom, we felt, I should say, this was going to be a high-scoring game. We were just getting it – it was just getting started. But it sure wasn't going to be like the Bengals' defense had stopped Buffalo or the Buffalo was going to stop the Bengals, consequently. So I don't think you can draw any conclusions out of that game whatsoever. You didn't get to see their packages. You didn't get to see their tendencies. You didn't get to see – you didn't really play enough to really get an advantage or disadvantage, unlike the Baltimore Ravens game you got a lot out of the game last Sunday that could help both teams coming this Sunday. The Buffalo game, you know, by it being in, by it ending the way it ended and it ending so prematurely, I don't think neither team got a lot out of it. Um, the, the the game against Baltimore, there was a time, Tim, you were a player agent, and I want to mm-hmm. ask you to put on your player agent hat for me here a, a second as it pertains to Lamar Jackson. Now, look, um, I will never, have never, will never, by the grace of God, ever question anybody's pain tolerance, toughness, injury, how serious it is, any of those kinds of things. Lamar Jackson has not practiced since week 13. Forget played in a game. He has not practiced. We know about this contract situation of his. He's looking for more guaranteed money uh, than Patrick Mahomes got from Kansas City. There have been some things that have been said, I think more importantly, some things that have not been said by John Harbaugh, the head coach, which, which naturally leave you wondering what in the world is going on here. Here's a question I want to ask you. If you're Lamar Jackson's agent, And he is, let's say, 70%, 75%. Stretch it to 80%. We all agree he's not going to be 100%. Does the business side of this come into the equation for him to play in this game? No. And that's why him not having an agent has him in the predicament that he's in now, in my opinion. And I will question, I will go on record to question why there's so much uncertainty around his injury in that we always hear players, rightfully so, I'm, I, I'm going to go to get treatment four other times. I'm going to get extra treatment. I'm going to try to get out there. And in Lamar's case, I question, I don't know the answer, but I'm sure in the hell going to question, are you motivated? Is this contract situation, it sure appears that this contract situation uh, basically has had you over the last five weeks take your ball and go home for whatever for the reasons we know so i would question that there's no doubt however i will look at it this way lamar jackson there is not another lamar jackson in the nfl right now you could talk about joe burrow great phenomenal aaron Rodgers, phenomenal mvp back to back you could talk about a lot of great patrick mahomes great quarterback but none of them have the qualities that Lamar Jackson has, because Lamar Jackson can beat you in so many ways. I'm not saying he's better. I am saying he's unique. So with that uniqueness alone, if just imagine if they put some, just some talent around that young man, just imagine if he had a Jamar Chase 
or T. Higgins or even a Tyler Boyd. Just imagine that. He is a one-of-a-kind, very unique player. But the only thing, if I am the management now, I'm questioning, well, if he will do this before his payday, what the hell is going to happen after he gets paid? So I think he's causing some of his own potential problems, or I would say concerns that the ownership may have, and including his teammates. His teammates need him in the worst way. Well, Tim, you, you took the words right out of my mouth because having grown up around sports and been fortunate enough to be around sports and locker rooms and football and clubhouses and baseball, to me, the most important thing of this whole thing, if I were Lamar Jackson, is how my teammates are going to look at me. How do they look at me now? How are they going to look at me, as you just pointed out, but how are they going to look at me if I don't play? How are they going to look at me if then I sign this generational money contract, right? And I'm coming back in the locker room next year when I didn't play in the playoffs last year. And for a lot of those guys, it might be the only time they ever have a chance to play in the postseason or even be on an NFL right. roster for that matter, right? Right. When you look at it from a team standpoint, the individuals, yeah, no one is going to go on record and say, I don't think he's hurt to the magnitude. I think he's making a statement here. But they'll have that bedroom conversation with their wives, their girlfriends, friends, and amongst, them, amongst themselves. But the positive could be so uplifting. If he just showed up to practice, I'm talking practice, the old Allen Iverson practice. <laughs> if he shows up to practice, that would be so uplifting to his team going into this game against the Cincinnati Bengals. If he comes out with his sweats on and his shoulder pads, Tom, you and I know, and I tell people this, you do not have to play in a National Football League. You could play in college or high school and you understand the dynamics of the locker room. It's no different. It's a matter of fact, it's probably better and more cohesive in high school and college than it is in the pros because pros are individuals that come and go more so than high school and college. So if Lamar Jackson makes the statement, I'm with my team by putting my uniform on and giving his best shot, that will resonate in that locker room among all the individual players and collectively, I think that would up uplift not only their spirits, but it sure in the hell would uplift their confidence that they can come to Paycor Stadium and not just compete, but win the football game. All right. Uh, look, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but, uh, you know, I think we all agree. And I had a long conversation about this the other day on the show with Brian Billick, former Ravens Super Bowl winning head coach. There is a significant difference playing a divisional opponent when you're now walking into the playoffs than there is playing somebody like Jacksonville or playing somebody like the Chargers, right? You know, that really don't know you and really haven't gone toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You know, if, if you're the center or you're a guard, Zeitler, uh, and going up against DJ Reader, you know what you're in for in that game because you've already played him a couple of times this year and you played him a couple of times last year and you've squared off with this cat many, many times. And that goes throughout the entire offense, defense, both sides. Would you suspect that this is going to be a tight game on Sunday night? 
Hell yes. There's no question. Let me tell you, Baltimore has the psychological advantage. The Bengals have the talent advantage. But Baltimore got to rest their starters, key starters. And now, just like you said, remember, these are cousins that play in the backyard every day. They know each other. They understand each other. There's not going to be any secrets. But the reason I say psychologically Baltimore has an advantage is because they're getting players back. And if Lamar Jackson obviously will be the key to that, he'll be the trump card, and the Bengals lost a key player. Now the Bengals are down two offensive linemen. That, that could be humongous. Remember, Tom, here in Cincinnati and around the nation, we haven't talked about Joe Burrow being sacked seven, eight, nine times this year since the first game. Now, will that come back to haunt them? Because now they have backups, and backups are backups for a reason, because they don't have the level of talent that the first team has. So you got a Baltimore Ravens team that has one hell of a defense. And here's what's funny, and I love the strategic part of it. I hear the Bengals fan, man, Joe was off. Man, he just missed T. Higgins, and if Jamar Chase would have caught that ball, man, they were just off a little bit. However, Baltimore missed Joe Burrow on several sacks where they let him get away. So that adds to the irony of what can happen on Sunday night. But I don't see either team with a huge advantage, and I really believe Baltimore can come out on top or Cincinnati can come out on top. So if you're a betting man, what would you bet on? I don't know if you are a betting man. If you are a betting man, you think the Bengals being at home, Burrow, you think they win the game? Yeah, I do. I I I go. I have to I have to hedge my bet here. I go with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. But if Lamar Jackson plays, I think it's a pick'em. Okay. All right. A um, couple of other quick topics because you have a unique perspective on all this. To a tag of Iowa. We're getting off the reservation here now, a little bit away from the Bengals. But I just want to get your thoughts. Again, you played. You have the unique perspective of having played, also been an agent. You understand all the inner workings here. Should Tua be on the football field this Sunday if he clears concussion protocol? Here's the, here, here, let me add one more unfortunate uh, part of my resume. I, uh, my career ended in my 10th year in a preseason game where I was knocked out cold, spent three days in a hospital and one day in intensive care for a concussion that, you know, unfortunately they thought was my neck. Knowing what I know, knowing and, and seeing DeMar Hamlin, knowing what I know, I think he should not play. And here's the reason why. The trauma his head has experienced or his brain has experienced um, is no different than I tried to get you know, the quote-unquote normal person to understand. Playing football on Sunday is like being in multiple car accidents. Your head, your brain is getting jarred around. And I understand, we understand there's, you know, collateral damage in playing the, in playing the game. And we, we, we totally accept that. So um, we're, we're, I'm not whining for anyone. But right now, here's what I can factually tell to about my personal experience. The more concussions you have, the deeper you go into a concussed state after the next one, the next one, the next one, and the next one. They get worse. They don't get better. 
what he's experienced this year. I don't think you need to be a medical doctor. I don't think you need to be a neurologist. I think you just need to have common sense to say, okay, Miami stinks right now with or without him. You're probably going to lose the Buffalo, and you may not want to take that into account. But from a health standpoint, why are you risking this, especially at your age? It's time to sit the young man down, let him take some tests during the offseason, and make sure he is 100% healthy, opposed to getting another hit. He will be hit on the head, Tom. He will take some hits to his head when he plays against the Buffalo Bills, if he plays. I wouldn't risk it. I don't think it's worth it. Last thing I want to ask you. Um, you came here, you played here, you left for a year, you came back here, you talked about the injury that ended your career. What kept you in Cincinnati? My wife. <laughs> my, my wife. <laughs> I want you to hear. Uh, when I got hurt, I, was, I told you I was in the, uh, in the hospital. And I laugh at this, although it was serious at the time. My wife was, she announced my retirement. Um, she walked in and, and she was so, you know, distraught. She was like, oh, we're done. We're done. We're done. Okay. All right. We're done. <laughs> so that, that was number one. So I think you know and understand um, who's the boss. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to live in Florida uh, when my career ended. Uh, we had a house in Florida. We had a house here. And I, I really wanted to live there. And, um, and I said, and she told me one day, she said, why, um, well, my, my oldest daughter, Keandra, is um, turning five. We have to pick a school. And now it's time to really buckle down with the school systems. And I said, oh, well, we need to look around here. And she said, for what? I instantly knew I was going to be living in Cincinnati. And I've lived here since then. I love Cincinnati. Um, the, the winter times is a little rough as you get older, but I mean, Cincinnati is an awesome town. It really is. You know, it, it's one of those cities that it may not get the 10 and, you know, across the board or get a 10 on the score. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's solid, low crime, great school system, great people, Midwest, four seasons. I can't complain. I mean, two sports teams, you know, no, is it Vegas? Is it Miami, Florida? Is it New York? Is it Chicago? No. But I can name a whole lot of the cities that's not. So I'm a Cincinnatian. I'm a transplant. I love it here. I enjoy it here. My family's here. We raised our kids here. Our kids are here. All three of our kids are here. So I think that um, speaks for itself. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim, we're lucky to have you. Uh, you, you have always been uh, one of my all-time favorites, and I love listening to you on the radio. And just like today in this show, uh, you lay it out there. I mean, everybody wants, you know, the, the orange-colored glasses, and there's been a lot to root for about this team. But now you're starting uh, the real season, if you will, in the postseason. Uh, and there are strengths and weaknesses, and you laid them all out there for us here today. And I can't thank you enough for your time, man. You be well, and God bless you. I appreciate you having me, Tom. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor. It's been a true honor to be with you. A true well, thank honor. thank you, Tim. Appreciate it, buddy. All the best. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. We really thank Tim McGee for his time today. That guy's on his game. I mean, that guy's on his game. If you're a young man, I don't care if you're black, white, green, makes no, that's the kind of guy that you can look up to on so many different levels. And I'm not talking about the way he talks about football or the Bengals. That guy's got it together. Yeah, that was a really good interview. And it looked like people the whole time in the chat really enjoyed it too. So a good, good man. Hear, good to hear from him. I have a feeling that that might be somebody we could, we could bring back on and uh, hit the button, hit the button, the real man. A real man.
That's right, Casey. Sir Boy Wonder. Says Tim McGee, leader of men. We have another leader of men already in here. All right. Well, look, I got to take a break. I can't sit through 55 minutes of doing an interview and not have to uh, go Mother Nature calls. You guys take it, and we'll get the Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman next. All right. Sounds good. It's that type of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Casey, it's going to be a good day. We avoided the door. We avoided the door. How about that? No door in the show today. He um, really needed to go. <laughs> he, he was out of there. You could tell right away. Uh, okay, so we have a, uh, a, a quick couple of promos here that I'm going to push. Um, again, I don't have the link in there yet in the chat, but I will put the link in the chat to the Discord, so make sure you join the Discord. Um, I see Zach Murray saying I need a haircut. I, I think I'm going for the little longer look. I think, I'm, I think I might be going for the longer look on the hair. I don't know, Casey. We've, we've debated it in the office. Might be going for a little longer. Makes me look a little older. Um, while, you're, while you're getting everything set up here with Marty, I, I do want to say that um, you should also be on the lookout. Uh, I think we'll probably talk about it on the box lunch. But stick around for the box lunch because around the start of the box lunch, we're going to have a little uh, announcement about how you might be able to spend your weekend. We'll put it that way. Ooh. An event that you might be able to go to this weekend that I think every one of you watching or listening to this show will be very interested in attending. So uh, stay tuned for that, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Um, that's coming up on uh, the box lunch, which will be right after Tom ends. And uh, Casey, is there anything that I'm forgetting that we are promoting? Um, just Discord, TikTok. Um, we're pretty much on every platform right now. D yeah, the Discord. The, 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 the Discord. Discord. <laughs> Casey, you've been doing a phenomenal job with the TikTok. Uh, the TikTok's really taken off here in the last... I, th I think we're up like 700 followers in two days. Uh, something like that. Uh, 700 in like a week. I was but, trying to give but, you some more credit, Casey. But, you know, we're doing really well. Please check it yeah. out because that's where we're posting our short-form content. Um, we're on Instagram. We're posting on there, too. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're, uh, we're everywhere. Look at that <laughs> <laughs> right in the camera. Uh, <laughs> oh man, There's everyone, Marty. everyone just missed Marty's reaction there. It was priceless. Reaction to what? <laughs> to you, Tom. Bring him on. Get reaction. Him well, well, what are you reacting to? Good morning, by the way. That's what are you that. reacting to? That's the most infantile thing I've ever seen. You mean, wait a minute. I mean, is camera? this, it, wait a minute, Tana, if this is a big league show, you know what? That's debatable to start with. That's very debatable. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't no. do that. Well, we do it every day. <laughs> can I, because can it, I, there's add a lot of sophomoric a, behavior in this studio, if you haven't noticed. Can I add something to the recently conducted interview with Tim McGee? Yes. Outstanding. Yeah. He's really a cool guy. He and I've never met, I don't think, but he is really a neat guy. Yeah, I mean, he's fab. I just remember when he came into the league, and I was working for Channel 5 uh, back in 86, and he, he was a first-round pick. And, I mean, even going back then, he's always just been, you know, exactly what you just saw. He's a young man who yep. clearly had a good upbringing. He talked a little bit about that um, uh, and, and, and his experience at the University of Tennessee. He's just got it together, and, and – and, I mean, he really is able to bring such a unique perspective because, you know, you probably heard, you know, there was a time there, and we know he was a player, there was a time there where he was an agent, 
Um, so you can get into things with him to bring a perspective that maybe a lot of people don't have. Correct. Neat guy. Neat yeah, guy. really neat guy. By the way, are you going to the Bengalis game on Sunday, big hitter like yourself? You went earlier this year, and I'm curious, are you going this week? I am not going this week, as a matter of fact. Uh, this week when they play, I will be in Goodyear, Arizona, for the Reds fantasy camp. Wow. Big absence out there, Dad, is going to be Tom Browning. Because, I mean, that guy, when he showed up out there at the fantasy camp, he was the life of the party, right, in many ways? Well, he was the life of most parties, Tom. He, uh, You know, I had the pleasure of being a part of that celebration of life as the Reds build it last Friday at the ballpark. And uh, uh, it, it was something. I'm not kidding you. They have a lot of people there, fans there, and uh, people coming from all over the country. Jim Deshays was there. Um, and – we had a chance to, to visit with uh, a teammate of Tom's at Lemoyne College in upstate New York and uh, a guy who was his best friend in high school. Uh, and everybody had the same reaction to Tom Browning, and that is everybody loved the guy. And he will definitely be missed. Uh, you know, when they lost Lee May, that was a big hit too. And uh, now having lost Tom Browning, that'll be another major hit. These two guys were... Uh, the life of any party they were around and when they were together, it just made it doubly so. And uh, it, a lot of people will have great thoughts about Tom Browning beginning on Saturday when these folks uh, gather out in Goodyear for a week of baseball and fellowship and camaraderie and all the things that make that, that event so, so special. You know, another big event the Reds had for years and years and, and once COVID hit and then, the, whoa, look at Millie. Getting Millie wanted to, to get on TV, this morning. Tom. What's that? She wanted to get on television. No, no, she's allowed. But. She's more than welcome. We love the puppies anytime they come on. Um, you know, Millie being female doesn't need the nudicles like um, like Tracy's dog Tucker does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting into okay. that. I'm not getting into that. Um, gosh, I, oh, yeah. They're, they're bringing back the caravan. A lot of people have asked on the chat today. I even heard them talking about on the radio yesterday. They announced the stops on the caravan, et cetera, et cetera. Are you going back out on the caravan? Yeah, you know, it's going to be a little bit different uh, this time around following the pandemic and the absence of the event for a number of years. Uh, you know, we used to go out for a week <clears throat> or pretty much a week. Excuse me now. I think uh, they're going to have a group going out on a Monday. <clears throat> they're going to have a group going out on a Wednesday. Uh, and, and it'll be only one overnight uh, for each of the groups that go out. But they will pretty much cover two days. And then they'll have a group going out on Friday. And, and naturally, we'll be going to all points of the compass like they've always done it. I'm going to be on the Friday uh, the Friday bus that will go and I, I just uh, the, to Dayton and Columbus and and uh, points north, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's essentially what I'm going to be on a stop with Nick Crawl and on a trip with Nick Crawl and um, Jamie Ramsey, Larry Herms, um, Jim Day, and there will be players there, both uh, former and current. So it'll it'll be a one night deal covering a couple of days. We'll be back Saturday night and leave Friday morning. 
That uh, that stop in Dayton they always used to have at the uh, the Wright Patterson Air Force Base up there in that museum. Uh, you know, I, I always strongly encourage anybody uh, who lives in this area that is a must stop, not just for the caravan. Uh, it, it's a must stop uh, to go check out and learn so much about this country and what Wright Pat has meant uh, to this country, going all the way back, of course, to um, to the namesake of the Wright brothers. And going down to your old stuff. I, I think, I think this. I think this caravan will be there. I'm. I'm. I'm I think I'm right. But I agree 100 percent with what you said. The first time I ever walked through the doors there, I was stunned at the memorabilia, uh, the planes uh, of of every almost every conceivable era, uh, presidential planes. It's just uh, for anyone who is. I don't even care whether you have interest in 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 planes or not just to go for the historical aspect of it. Uh, you can spend easy, I think, three hours in there, maybe longer than that with all the things that you need to see. So I, I agree with you. I encourage people highly to go see the, the museum uh, at Wright Pat without any question. I want to ask you a little bit about this uh, Carlos Correa thing. I, I, I got to tell you, uh, and I'm going to try to get Scott Boris on um, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I had reached out to him. He said he'd be happy to come on, but he was going to try to get through a few of these players and, and signings, et cetera, et cetera, before uh, he could turn his attention to doing something like this. He's been on a couple of times before, and I'm greatly appreciative. Um, what are your thoughts on this thing? I mean, three teams, two different agreements, first the Giants, then the Mets. The Twins were in the thing from the beginning and then faded off to the big money, large market franchises. Uh, and now all of a sudden he's going back to Minnesota. Well, I think uh, there, I think uh, Kenny Rosenthal's got a great piece on the athletic this morning about this whole thing. Um, and he, he, he was very good. Um, and I think very objective in his assessment of the way this whole thing went down. Uh, you know, it's a different era that we, we play in today as it pertains to free agent players, especially the big, big, big money players. And obviously Correa is one of them. There was never any mention of how many years and how much money total was going to be paid a player until the physical was done and everything was clear and the system said go. Now, you know, uh, it, it, I don't know who's at fault, whether it's, uh, in this case, Scott Boris, or whether it's the ball club or whether somebody leaks a story to an important baseball writer like a Rosenthal or a John Heyman or a Jeff Passan or somebody like that. And then the story, the, the information gets out. Uh, this thing here was uh, was chaotic as far as I was concerned. Um, you know, the guy had an injury, leg injury that required a plate put, put in it uh, back in 2014. Um, and I don't know that it was ever made an issue. In fact, I think it, nobody really knew until um, uh, Correa slid into third base against whoever it was this past season. And for whatever the reason, he felt compelled to announce that he had this plate put in back in 2014. And, and all of a sudden now this whole thing takes on a different look. Um, what I found interesting about this, uh, and he points this up, that there were some clubs that had bottomless pockets that had a chance 
to get involved when it was clearly obvious, not Millie, that he wasn't going to sign with the new, the New York Mets deal was going to fall through. The LA Dodgers, first and foremost, they are in bad need of a shortstop. They may have made an offer that was not acceptable by Scott Boris and Carlos Correa, but the fact of the matter is that no club is more deathly in need of a, of a shortstop as we stand uh, just a handful of months away from beginning the season and the LA Dodgers. And essentially, you know, they basically passed on it after they may possibly made an offer and it was not good enough. So I, uh, I, I'm just surprised today that people can't keep their damn mouth shut about uh, how much money a guy's being offered over how many years until everything you dot every I and cross every T and put a period at the end of every sentence, and it's a done deal. Um, I don't know that we'll ever know who's at fault in this thing, if anybody was indeed at fault. But I don't blame I don't blame the Giants. I don't blame the New York Mets. Uh, Steve Cohen had a big fat mouth and opened his mouth before the deal was done, and now he's got to be a little bit embarrassed when he made the point and when it looked like they were going to get him. We only needed one thing, and now we have him. Well, let's come back to Hawny because he doesn't have him. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I just think there are too many egos involved in a situation like this, none more so than the guy that you're going to have on down the road when he has time to come on in the Antichrist, Scott Boris. Um, so I don't, I don't know where, it, uh, where this whole thing, uh, where you settle on this whole thing, but I think there's going to be major scrutiny once the season gets underway and Correa is an everyday lineup player uh, I think people are going to look at him a little bit differently and with a little bit more interest other than to say he's one of the great players in the game of baseball today and and off we go. Um, I think they're going to look at him uh, day by day by day and uh, every injury will take on a, a different look. Um, uh, maybe some people have learned a lesson to keep their mouth shut about number of years and, and how much millions and millions of dollars are being paid a guy until everything is signed, sealed, and delivered. We talk so much about all of the money, and, and I went through the list one day, a day you weren't on the show, about how uh, in this free agent spending frenzy during the offseason, uh, 12 of the 14 teams that have spent the most money were all in top 10 markets of their respective countries, the caveat being, of course, Toronto uh, up in Canada, the others here in the United States. Uh, Minnesota does not fall into that category. Now, all of a sudden, they do with this contract, shorter contract, $200 million if you believe what you read. Um, does this toss to the wind? The argument about the, you know, mid-market teams not being able to run with the big dogs? No, I don't think so at all. I think this, this Minnesota Carlos Correa thing is an aberration. Yeah, because when they signed him um, – Last year, they signed him to a multi-year contract, but he had an out, and they signed him with the feeling that he's only going to be here one year anyway. Uh, and this was all in Rosenthal's article that was on the uh, the Athletic this morning. Uh, they they anticipated him having only one year there because naturally he'd want to leave and go to a larger market to make more money. Uh, and that is, in fact, he did leave. He did leave. But it took unique circumstances for him to come back and play again at Minnesota 
with a long-term contract. I don't think it changes the playing field at all in terms of mid-market or small-market ball clubs having an opportunity to sign a player of that magnitude down the road. I think it was very unique circumstances. I uh, don't think you'll ever probably see this situation occur again. Um, Trevor Bauer, back in the news yeah. again. Uh, yeah. You know, the Dodgers have not officially released him to make him an open market player right now. I mean, the Dodgers are going to have to pay him unless they can swing a trade. One of the reasons, and it's really semantics, one of the reasons he's just not out there is because they would prefer him not to sign with the team inside their division for as long as they can have control of this situation. It's not going to end up turning out that way for the Dodgers. We know that. Um, yes. The Reds aren't even a part of this conversation. If you're an owner for a major league baseball team, do you consider bringing in Trevor Bauer? I might think about it, but I'd also have to think of what the pushback is going to be in my market. Uh, given the charges that were leveled against him that resulted in his long-term suspension, uh, not as long as it would have been had the arbitrator not shortened it, but the fact of the matter was, it was, it was the longest it's ever been imposed upon a player for whatever the reason. Um, I, I, the first name that came up was the San Diego Padres uh, in the same division, trying to get good enough to beat the Dodgers out and win the Western division. But I would have to be very careful if I were an owner of a ball club and have to look at that situation and, 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 and realistically uh, come to grips with the expectation that I'm going to get a lot of heat from our female fans, from a lot of uh, male fans. I, I just think that, uh, you know, you, you better be ready for, to get some serious criticism if you go out and sign this guy. And, um, and obviously he wants to still pitch, and I don't think there's any question that uh, he can still pitch effectively. Uh, that season, shortened season, though it was, that he had with the Reds that produced the Cy Young Award for him, the guy was just lights out. He was clearly better than any pitcher in this league. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would have a hard time uh, going forward to try and put him in my team's uniform uh, because of all the outside uh criticisms that I think that team will incur if they uh, in fact do that. I don't, I don't think there's any way around it. If there are teams that don't give a damn about that, and I hope there aren't because I think they need to consider that, uh, then we'll see what happens. But it's going to be an interesting situation once he's free and clear to do whatever the heck he needs to do to get back in a uniform. All right, I want to get away from baseball for a minute. You know, uh, Casey and especially Paul dialed in on the college basketball front. You used to yep. announce the University of Kentucky basketball games on television for a number of years, and you got a lot of tight friends and family down there in the Commonwealth. What's going on down there? All of a sudden, you know, stories popping up here and there. The cow might be running for cover down to Austin, Texas. I mean, there's all kinds of – a lot of stuff flying around. And one thing that is, that is the number one case in point, this Kentucky team right now stinks. You just summed it up. I watched the game last night from the opening tip-off until the game ended. Uh, Kentucky never led after South Carolina jumped out to a 5 to nothing lead. 
and and that's a 500 basketball team. Uh, South Carolina is right now. I don't know that Kentucky's even a 500 team. Uh, it, they they just have a lot of problems, uh, and, and I think they're quite honestly. Uh, I, I think it's an indictment about uh, against programs that could care less whether they have a kid any more than one year or not. I think they have gone down that path where they've signed a lot of five-star recruits that have NBA abilities at the level in which they have played, uh, and now they're going into college. Uh, I don't think there's any any togetherness watching that team on the floor. I don't think there's a hell of a lot of teamwork uh, in terms of, of uh of trying to figure out ways to score and find the open man all the time. Uh, I don't see him running a whole lot of plays. I see a bunch of guys out there playing for themselves and, and trying to be impressive to NBA scouts. They would, they would deny every bit of that because to admit it would, would be exactly what their critics are saying now uh, that that's, uh, that's exactly the road that they're traveling. Um, and, and I know that a coach is obligated to say, when you're going bad, uh, you say the same things after every loss. You may phrase it differently. You know, the same old crap about, you know, we're not, we're underachieving. We've got a, we've got a team loaded with great talent. Uh, we're going to get it together. Uh, this is my fault. All the cliches that the business of sports has, whether it be basketball, baseball, football, whatever the heck it is. Uh, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the fans in Lexington, Kentucky, and all over the Commonwealth uh, are, are screaming for somebody's head. And obviously the one that's uh, the biggest of all is, is John Calipari. Um, I've often said that the most unrealistic basketball fans in the United States are UK fans. The most unrealistic football fans in the United States reside in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and, and so I, I, uh, I don't know where there, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel for this team, because every time they have a stretch of, of, of quality play and, and they're going to do that because they do have kids that can play. Uh, but then to play the way they played last night, uh, it's just unbelievable. And I think it's realistically realistic and, and, and proper to ask the question, can it end? Will it end? Um, but I can tell you right now, those folks down there are hotter than a match. And, and that's all because every year that a season begins, Kentucky fans think they're going to win the national championship. Now, it doesn't get any more realistic, unrealistic than that, but that's exactly the way they think. Paul, you're a big college hoops guy. You want to follow up with anything with a Hall of Famer here? Yeah, Marty, I watched the entire game last night, too, and I think the biggest issue with Kentucky right now is they just don't have an identity, right? They don't have anything that makes you think that they're going to turn it around because even Oscar Shibway, he fills up the stat sheet, but he's not really having a good season. If you watch him play, he's not really rebounding well. He's not really defending well either. He's not having the season coming off a national player of the year season and they don't really have you talk about the nba talent they only have case and wallace right now that jumps off the page because Sheepway is not that lottery pick type nba talent that they've had before case and wallace you could say he is but even severe wheelers playing out of position as a point guard and everybody wants to talk about the offense 
Last night, there were only 57 possessions in the game, and South Carolina scored over 1.2 points per possession, which is an unbelievable number. I mean, yes. if you don't follow college basketball like that in the stats, for people listening, one is a pretty average number. 1.2 is like you're not defending anybody. And South Carolina dominated that game. They were up, like you said, Marty, 5 nothing. They were up 21-6. to That was a 20-point favorite for Kentucky last night. And you have people bringing – you know, leave for Texas signs, you know, or, or whatever they said down in uh, and, and getting kicked out of uh, out of Rupp. It's a yeah. dire situation, and it's been bad before. I know Kentucky went 10-19 and 19 two years ago. They lost to St. Peter's last year. But, Marty, South Carolina was bigger underdogs in this game than St. Peter's was. St. Peter's was 17.5-point underdogs against Kentucky. South Carolina was 20-point underdogs. This was a bigger upset than St. Peter's was, and it happened at Rupp. It's unbelievable what's happening right now. I cashed. No, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. The only thing I disagree with you on, Paul, I think uh, is going to be an outstanding professional basketball player. I mean, he can run the floor. Uh, he's a beast inside. Uh, is he playing as well as he played last year? No. I mean, he was player of the year in college basketball last year. And, and there are too many games where they, that he will disappear uh, for a period of time before coming back into the rhythm of, of what they're trying to establish. But I blame other players just as much as I may be blaming him for uh, personally getting down on the way this thing has gone. I think he's going to be an outstanding player in the NBA. Uh, but I agree with you. They have no identity. Um, they don't play good defense. Uh, they rarely, if ever, do they uh, apply pressure uh, when they get down and they need to force turnovers when it gets late in the game because I don't think they can guard anybody. Um, I, I just don't know where this is all going to end. And I, I as I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of keeping players around. If you only keep them around for two years or only three years, uh, I think you developed a certain cohesiveness uh, on the court and uh, importantly off the court that you don't get when you have kids come in and they're going to buy their time and they're going to play one year and then they're going to leave. If they get drafted, they're gone. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, uh, and, and you mentioned St. Peter's every season. It makes no difference when it is, but every season there is a game that they lose. In this case, a lot of them early, but you mentioned St. Peter's they figure out a way to lose to somebody in the NCAA tournament that they are not supposed to lose to. Um, I don't know what he can do to turn it around. It's going to be interesting to see how hard Texas comes uh, after him, if in fact that story is true. Uh, you know, he's got a lifetime contract with Kentucky, but we all know about that. You can get out of lifetime contracts in the bat of an eye, and maybe Kentucky will be happy uh, to, to see him go in the event that that occurs. I read a piece that somebody wrote, and I wish I could remember who it was, that said, if you're going to be successful as a coach at the University of Kentucky, face one fact, and that is it's a 10-year job. After 10 years, they get tired of you. The pressure increases if you're not winning year after year after year to the satisfaction of the unrealistic Kentucky fans, and I don't disagree with that at all. I think uh, you, you're going to make a run, uh, hopefully a uh, successful run in Lexington, 
10 years is about the maximum because after that, things seem to go downhill from that point. Well, and look at what happened, too, out in, uh, you know, on the East Coast with Kevin Willard at Seton Hall in Maryland, right? He didn't have a ton of tournament success at Seton Hall, but it wasn't like he was running Seton Hall into the ground. It was just he was there for a while, didn't have a ton of tournament success. They made a move, right? Things just get stale. You move on, and that seems like that's where we're at with with Cal in, in Kentucky right now. But the other thing I want to ask you about, Marty, and this is the last thing I'll ask you, North Carolina – What's going on here? Are they getting in the tournament? At the rate they're going right now, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, what What was disturbing to me about the game last night, now they're playing the 13th-ranked team in the country uh, in Charlottesville, a team they had not beaten, I don't know, in, in 15 years or nine years or 10 years or whatever it is in Charlottesville. Um, and they lose Baycott in the second minute of the game with an ankle injury, and he never came back but they still should have won the basketball game. Playing with a bunch of young guys, and and the thing that I'm most disappointed in as far as Hubert Davis, he has not settled yet on a rotation that is going to be beneficial to that basketball team. He's got people coming off the bench that can play. Uh, When all of his people are healthy, rarely do they get very many minutes. The kid that showed up big last night in the first half, Jalen Washington, who I think is going to be a great college basketball player. Uh, He missed all last year because he had a a knee injury that required surgery and missed the entire season. happened, I think, in his senior year, late in his senior in high school. Um, But they don't have any rotation to speak of. And and I hate to compare, but uh, when Roy was coaching there and before that when Coach Smith was there, they had rotations. And they could go eight or nine deep. Uh, This team doesn't do that uh, to – any degree uh, that would give these kids valuable experience as they move on down the line. But they still should have won last night's game, and they didn't do it. And, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but you're going to put a finger on anybody. you got to blame Hubert Davis for the way this club is playing right now. Caleb Love, he'd be sitting on the bench next to me, and I would have Seth Trimble playing that guard position. Trimble guards people. He's the best defender on the ball defender they have in the backcourt. Uh, he can score. He has great leaping ability. Granted, he's a freshman, but he can play. Caleb Love would come off the bench for me. And I think this is an indication that that Hubert Davis realizes, you know, this kid has NBA aspirations, uh, and I'm going to give him every chance in the world to come out of what has been a season-long shooting slump. I mean, he until he got hot in the last three minutes of last night's game, he was two for 11 from the floor. And I, they simply cannot win with him playing at that level from now on. But they will never sit him down and, and start the Trimble kid until Caleb Love figures out a way to get things together. If he thinks he can play in the NBA right now, then he is completely delusional because he's not a good shooter and you can't play in that league unless you can do that. All right, young man. Thank you very much for the time today, as always. Thanks for being flexible and in, in adjusting our schedule uh, so we could have Tim McGee on today. Greatly appreciated, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Hall of Famer Marty Brennan. I mean, you get it all covered here, right? We got the NFL with McGee. You get baseball with Marty, and you get a little college basketball with Marty. Checks all the boxes, Tom. Checks all the boxes. That's what uh, Off the Bench is all about. 
I want to get uh, your guys' reaction. Well, first of all, do we have any specialty items we need to address today? Is there any teaching toms or any of that kind of thing today? We, I mean, we have, we always have one loaded. If you want to do it, we can. Is it a good one? I mean, they're all it's good a, ones. All right, yeah, let's see. It. Let's roll it because uh, it's been a while. Let's see it. All right. Back by popular demand. Play the There's one of those that goes around on the internet. Joe Burrow, Joe Scheist. Joe what? Is that the word? Is that the hip word? I don't even know what to say. What? When a viewer tells me that I'm trying to be hip and I'm not as hip as I think I am, that hurts. <laughs> Okay. All right, Tom, what do you think this means? On fleek. Fleek. Huh. On target, on cue, on, I mean, is it, am I close? You're like kind of in the right direction. Okay, so how would this be used? All what right. is this? Throw up the definition here, Casey. Extremely good, attractive, <laughs> or stylish. Yeah. Tom's yeah. hair is on fleek today. Really? Kind of like on point, sort of. So if uh, my son's getting ready to go out and he has a date, I can say, man, you're on fleek. Mm. That outfit's on fleek. That's what you say. Okay. That outfit. Oh, so oh, you have to specify like hair in yeah. this kind of thing. It's got, it's got or a, that shirt is on fleek. It's got to have a noun tied to it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do we have anything, yeah. anybody in the chat have anything on fleek you'll today? Get a, you'll get a real rise out of him if you say his eyebrows are on fleek. <laughs> you'll love that one. Eyebrows? Yeah, his eyebrows. Well, well what does that mean? The only, the only thing, the older you get among many things that start to wear you out, you know, is when your eyebrows, for a guy my age, they start to turn the same color as your hair. And that's not brown anymore. That's when the eyebrows start turning white. And you face a dilemma of, right? If you cut them, I mean, they're falling out anyway. Nobody wants to walk around without eyebrows, right? No. Okay. So, you know, you can get them trimmed up at the barbershop, but they're still coming in their gray. Or you can try to color them. You know, they have that, you probably, you don't need it yet, Casey, where you got a, the <laughs> no, mustache no and beard, you know, kind of color they have. And what the hell is the difference between that and hair color and beard color? It's just a, a product. They're just trying to sell you something different. What do you mean? There are, there are designated, and I've looked into this stuff. There are designated hair color for men. So if you want to take some of the gray out, and I've done that from time to time, just get a little bit of it gray, a little bit of it out. Um, but then there's a separate product entirely to get the gray out of a mustache or a beard. Now, what could possibly be the difference between those two products? Tom, you're talking to a guy that can't even grow a beard, so I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's much of a Why difference. Why am I asking you two 20-somethings? Yeah, I well, don't know. Maybe, Why? Why maybe am I wasting my time? Maybe it's more strong when you have, because, you know, your beard can be wiry. Like, I don't know if it's more thick. Tom, somebody brings up a great point about Pawnee Water in the chat. They did what they say. The Pawnee H2O is on fleek. Does it make your, uh, is on fleek. That's very, very good. Does it make, uh, does Pawnee make your eyebrows stay brown? 
I don't know about that, but I can tell you one thing. It's made right across the street in Hamilton. And I've talked about these guys. We've gotten to know them. I really like them. Um, two former Procter & Gamble guys. And they decided, you know what? We're moving on now, starting something a little bit different. So they started Pawnee, and they use natural limestone filtration. And a lot of the brands you're buying, uh, all that stuff is artificial processing. Okay? So they call it, because of that, the best tasting water in the world. We agree. Visit their website at Pawnee Water. That's P-A-H-H-N-I, P-A-H-H-N-I water.com and see where you can buy the best tasting water in the world. It's great, but it doesn't turn your eyebrows brown. Mm. But Pawnee Water is on fleek. It is on fleek. Clip that and send it over to the Pawnee guys. You're getting there, Tom. We're getting there with you. We're getting there. I think you're so. I appreciate it. Really appreciate that. I know he does. He's coming in Friday. I think you should ask your daughter about on fleek. She might appreciate that more. Sir Boy Wonder is. says my station wagon is on fleek. Zachary wants to know, does Pawnee Water do anything for nudicles pain? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it, 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 it's, it's now uh, just going straight in the tank, all the comments. Um, thoughts? I'm going to start with you, Casey. I'm going to go back to the Tim McGee interview. Okay. He said this thing is going to be a knockdown, drag-out game, as you would expect. Division opponents, third time they've met this year. This will be the rubber game. Baltimore won the first one. We all agree Bengals could have, would have, should have won it, but didn't. Beat them last week without Baltimore having a bunch of guys. Bengals played all their horses. Uh, Might have been vanilla. We talked about that. Um, he thinks this is going to be a tough, tough game. I said as much yesterday. Your thoughts, if any? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think it'll be a tough game. Um... I still think they win. I, I just have this feeling and belief that Joe Burrow is inevitable. I mean, he is the guy that will get the job done. And um, he will put us in a position. It might require an Evan McPherson field goal. Or it might require us to drive down the field to score a last-minute touchdown. But Joe Burrow will put us in a position to achieve that. And I think the rest of the guys – I think they're really pissed off, honestly. Um, just from all the comments after the game uh, about the chippiness. I mean, Cam Taylor Britt had some really interesting things to say about the game. DJ Reader even got into it. Um, and th there's just some very disrespectful clips of Roquan, like, bouncing the ball off of Jamar Chase's head. And it's just like, this game is going to be very physical, very, very chippy. Yep. I get it. But when it is about that, when it is a Joe versus Joe or the Joes versus the Joes, Jimmy's, sort of and, Joes. Jimmy's and Joes, talent usually comes on top. So I, I got to have faith in my Bengals. If you were a betting man, are you betting yay or nay Lamar Jackson play Sunday? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because that was the point that I was going to make is that if you want to bet on the Bengals and you don't think Lamar is going to play, 
bet the Bengals oh, now. Yeah. Get the line at under a touchdown because what Vegas is doing is that they, they are assuming that Lamar is going to play. So if you don't think that Lamar is going to play, so if you want to kind of double bet this, you're not going to get profit for it necessarily. But if you're mentally betting on Lamar not playing, take the line now because as soon as it is announced that Lamar isn't playing, if that's how it goes – the line's going to jump over a touchdown. They've already said that if it's Tyler Huntley, it's going to go to about eight and a half. And that if it's uh, Anthony Brown, it's going to go up to 10. So if you don't think Lamar is going to play, get it now. At I, 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 I haven't all... checked Betfred in the last hour to know exactly where it is, but it's hovering right around six, six and a half. Yeah, um, yeah some of the line movement is it's already moving. Yeah, but the, the line, yeah, as Casey points out, he's checking a website that kind of aggregates odds, and it's already starting to move up towards seven. The money is about 50-50, so um, it's starting to even out here as the week goes along, and it becomes maybe more obvious or clear that Lamar is not going to play. It's interesting. You look at uh, the quarterbacks all over the NFL that are going to uh, advance onto the postseason this weekend. Joe Burrow got his team to a Super Bowl last year. Um, is he under pressure? Of course he's under pressure. They've won eight in a row. He's a quarterback for one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, he is 3-1 and one as a postseason quarterback. Lamar Jackson's 1-3 and three as a postseason quarterback. And the one game was a miracle when he went off. I remember him getting interviewed on the field. It was one of the greatest interviews I've ever seen with somebody. When can't remember who it was they beat uh, a couple of years ago, and he's he was running all over the place. The year he won the, um, I think it was year he won the MVP. Um, but you know there was a, there there was a really interesting story today, and it seems like we talk about him all the time. We ought to start charging him money. But um, Paul Diener Jr. wrote a great piece in the Athletic today about momentum. And I always like to say around my house when games are going on, I'll always used to say, especially in my coaching days, as you guys know, one of the great youth basketball coaches of all time, that Uncle Mo has entered the arena. Uncle Mo. Uncle Mo Menem. <laughs> but it's interesting that um, the 49ers have won 10 in a row. The Bengals have won eight in a row. Buffalo has won seven in a row. The Chargers had won five in a row before losing that last game, and, and it made no difference. And that's a whole different topic about why their starters were playing in that game to begin with. And a couple of them got hurt, including Mike Williams. Just insanity out there. And um, The Jaguars have won six of their last seven to win the AFC South. Um, and, and, and what does momentum mean going into – the postseason. There have been quarterbacks twice it happened to Hall of Famer Peyton Manning, where his team went into the playoffs with a winning streak of seven or more games, bounced in the first round. It happened to Phillip Rivers twice. His team rolling into the playoffs, winning streak seven or more, bounced in the opening round. It even happened to Tom Brady one year with New England. At this point, do you all believe that Uncle Mo has anything to do with what's going to happen this coming week? I don't personally have – I don't personally put a ton of stock into it because it's the Ravens that the Bengals are playing and they just played. 
and the dynamics are going to be a lot different than they were this past Sunday. So I don't know how much the the momentum factor is going to play into the Bengals, you know, winning this game on Sunday. But there is definitely something to be said for a team that has not lost since before November. It's, we're talking about a team that hasn't lost since Halloween. It's crazy. It's crazy. There's no doubt about it. And look, you would rather be, I think we all agree, you'd rather be a team that has come in on some kind of winning streak, whether it's four, five, seven, eight, ten, whatever, than losing two games in a row. Yeah, right? you'd much rather, yeah, you'd rather be 8-0 and into the postseason than have won your first 12 games and, you know, slink in having lost your last five. You don't want to do that. That's bad. Then you trend the other way. You know what that is? That's the 11-0 Pittsburgh Steelers from like two years ago. The worst 11-0 team of all time that everybody and everybody and their mother knew for a fact was going to get blown out by Kansas City and it wasn't even close, yet they started the season 11-0. That's the same deal. Most fraudulent team of all time. But I could go on all for time? a while. All time? 11-0? They lost by 50. All time? All time. Find me a more fraudulent team. All time a big number. Vikings this year? Ah, the Vikings are not. We'll see. We'll the, see. The, Team of destiny. The, the, they're not playing at, at 1 o'clock, though. It's the issue. I mean, at the 4.30. They're going to kill the Giants. 4.30. They're going to kill the Giants. Man, they're going to kill right. Do you realize they have a negative point differential? I don't care what they are. The Vikings. They're going to kill them. I do think they win. They may get bounced the next round, but they're going to kill them. But you talk about quarterbacks with pressure, fellas, and, and, and look. Every quarterback has pressure. Let's get to this graphic here real quick. Lamar Jackson, that win was against Tennessee. Somebody in the chat just reminded me. Yep. Thank you for that. Uh, one and three. You see what his team has averaged compared to Joe at three and one, what they've averaged. That is not a big number, 23. No. If you average 23 this year in the playoffs with the teams that they're going to have to play you are bounced in the second or third round. It's got to be better than 23 because you're not going to hold Buffalo or Kansas City to less than 23. Um, see the completion percentage? That's not Jackson's game. Um, the, the, the touchdown to interception ratio and the passer rating, uh, staggering. Jackson has, however, the note at the bottom, in his three head-to-head -head matchups against Burrow. And look, let's be fair about this a second now, okay? Um, one was this year when the Bengals were still trying to kind of right the ship with the offensive line, all that kind of thing. Uh, one was... His rookie season. His, yeah, when, when the Bengals stuck. I mean, they were terrible. So a little bit misleading. The quarterback, however, that I think has the most pressure on him, the two guys at the top of the list. You can't say Mahomes. He's already won a Super Bowl. He's been to a couple of Super Bowls. Yes, there's pressure. They're the number one seed. But in my opinion, the two quarterbacks who, when they put their head on the pillow at night, they have got to be feeling major heat. Number one for me by far and away is Dak Prescott. Oh, 100%. The expectation level of the Cowboys every year, and it gets so tired. It gets so tired. But the bottom line is, and I don't know how much stock you put in that game last week against the Commanders, maybe nothing, but he was awful. 
There are games where he looks like the best quarterback that ever lived. But now all of a sudden, they're going down there against Brady and the Bucs. They, they've been like this, both Brady and the Bucs. Dak Prescott has got to win that game Sunday. Has to. Yeah. If he, has to win. If he wants any – I mean, there's so much pressure on him. On his, He reminds me of Andy Dalton a little bit where there was, like, just this lingering playoff issue. He was a decent quarterback. And I think Dak Prescott is more talented than Andy Dalton. But I think we all agree. If you don't even win a playoff game, I mean, you're nothing in this league. Not for long. Not for long. And uh, Jerry Glanville, up. not for long. Not for long. Yeah, I mean. You still love that guy. And, to, and the fact that it's Tom Brady, and I don't think he's ever beaten Tom Brady. Brady has Tampa. never lost to the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Never That's lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Just in Tampa or in general? His whole Period. Career. Yeah, that's tough. Period. Chalk it up, baby. And the long offseason for Big <laughs> Jerry and the boys. You know, you wonder, would Mike McCarthy survive that deal? No. He already won. Jerry came out, said we have all the confidence in him yesterday. Oh, that means he's got no confidence in him. No Jerry says we believe. When you have to make a statement before the playoffs that says I have confidence Well, that's in Dallas. There, there is nowhere in all the years I did the NFL. You know, we, we, we would get sent working for Fox. I still get it now. Why? I don't know. I'm off the payroll. Um, but, <laughs> but we used to get this, this, this document sent every day, which was every article written about every single team in the NFL on a daily basis. So it's this mass document. If, if you've got the Cowboys against the Bengals, you know, you'd really just kind of pay attention to that. Nobody has time to read every single one of these. But cities like Cincinnati, you would get, and this is before The Athletic came about, which adds another whole layer of articles that are going to be in this document. But back when it was just local newspapers or maybe a website of some kind, you know, the Bengals might have three articles in there. So like their amount where you could click on the three articles was like this. Every day with the Cowboys, the Cowboys and the Giants, right, were like this. Hmm. I've never seen anything like it. The coverage of the Cowboys in Dallas. The head coach has his own radio show. The owner has his own radio show. The quarterback has his own radio show. I mean, it's, it's insane, the coverage of the Dallas Cowboys. Forget nationally just locally in um, Dallas-Fort Worth. There's a lot of heat down there. A lot of cooks in the kitchen, too. They haven't been to the Super Bowl since they won it with Aikman the second time, or with uh, Aikman and Barry Switzer as a head coach. Sure, no, Romo never right? made it. Romo, yeah, never, Romo made never made it. it. Yeah. And, and you think about all of the pub that they get. You know, Dak hasn't even came close. Right? No, not I even mean, close. No. I mean, he, the furthest he's gone is divisional, and that was when they were the first round as a rookie, right? Yep. Not even close. The other quarterback who has unbelievable pressure is Josh Allen. Hmm. You, you say whatever you want about not getting the ball back. I think we all agree it would have been nice to see a Buffalo in that overtime loss last year to Kansas City in the playoffs could have gotten a chance with the football. Those rules have been changed now. For the playoffs this year, that won't happen again. What are they this year? Well, each team's going to have a chance to have the ball. Okay. Um, 
it won't end on the first team getting the ball, scoring a touchdown, game over. Okay. That won't happen. Um, I wish they'd apply that in the regular season, but at any rate. Um, Buffalo for two years has been picked as the team. With Allen getting so much of the preseason hype for the MVP, all that kind of thing. Allen won the head-to-head matchup this year against Kansas City. That was in like the, 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 one of the first two or three games of the year. So, I mean, that's a lifetime ago. Yep. Irrelevant. Just like the Bengals went over Kansas City at this point this year, it, irrelevant. Makes no difference. Because next time you got to play him, if you play him again, you got to play him and beat him again as they did last year in Kansas City. But Allen, guys got to deliver the goods, man. They have put together a powerhouse team up there in Buffalo on both sides of the ball. He can't be getting sloppy with a football. He's thrown 13 picks, fumbled 13 times, lost five of them. Playoffs, fellas, winning quarterbacks in the postseason, that can't happen. I mean, look no further than those numbers we just had for Lamar. We didn't even put up fumbles lost, and I bet the ranch he lost a few of those. He did. Right? Yeah. Two touchdowns, five picks, one and three. Burrow, five and two, three and one. What do you think is going to happen if Lamar doesn't play? How do you think the whole Raven situation is going to play out? With I Lamar? think the Bengals are oh, – you mean, you mean at the end of the year? I, I mean, like, what do you think the optics are like for Lamar with his potential They're not situation? good. They're not good. Tim McGee said it better than I did. And, and again, I, based on Ian Rappaport's report of speaking with people who are there day in and day out at the Ravens facility, if I understood him correctly, you guys tell me if I'm wrong. You read the same thing, heard the same comments. My understanding of that is that this guy is hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I'm starting to conclude, too. I, I thought maybe he might be holding out, but I think the more realistic and the non-rumorish type conclusion is that he had a more significant serious injury than what they, they said. And that he, he's just going to take more time to heal on that knee. I mean... That, that's my guess. I mean, he hasn't even stepped on the field. I mean, I think he would if, even if he was purposely holding out, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he actually did something more significant to the knee. Um, I mean, they said it was a PCL yep. sprain. Yeah. I mean, it could have been even like the slightest tiniest tear right and it would be significant pain and if he was trying to get back sooner than later and he just keeps aggravating it then it's not going to get healed so i mean i that's tough i don't i don't they i do not envy lamar jackson's position right now he is in a lose-lose position you know you know this isn't like um a joe burrow although we know burrow can run but 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 this isn't the kind of quarterback where you could put a brace on that thing and he's going to be a drop-back passer, just protect him, don't force him to run around a lot, he probably is able to get back on the field. But more so than any other quarterback that's left in the playoffs now, he is what they call a quick-twitch guy, right? 
He drops back there. All of a sudden, bang, step here, bang, step there, gone. 50-yard touchdown run. Nobody else, Jalen Hurts included. Nobody else in the NFL can do that, and that's why Tim McGee just said he's the most unique talent there is. Doesn't mean he's the best. He's the most unique talent that there is. I think that makes a big difference in him being able to come back. Don't you guys? I mean, that's just logic, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I really think that they're wanting to wait because he, he has to be able to run the ball. He has to be able to run the ball against us. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean. Uh, There's something going on here, man. There's something going on. I'm not trying to put my tinfoil hat on here, but there's something going on. I, well, I, you know what? I think you're right on that, Paul. What, what do you think's going on? You think it's a money thing? Contract thing? I think – do I think he can play? No. I think he probably – it's just so tough for me as somebody that loves sports and watches sports and wants to be a competitor and wants to go be out there on a field. Like, if I – if I was in a position that he was, would want to go out there and be on the field with my team and try to win in the postseason. You just never know. I go back how many times. I just can't say this example enough. How many times back in 2011 did we have to hear about the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant and James Harden and Russell Westbrook on that team and how that team was going to play the Miami Heat in the postseason for the next decade, and that was the future of the NBA. The Thunder never even sniffed it again. Right, You get to the postseason, you just never know what's going to happen in your career, how things are going to shake out, who's going to get hurt, who's going to get traded. You just never know. And to forfeit one of your prime years of your career in the postseason, granted, with a Ravens team that is not going to win the Super Bowl, even if they beat the Bengals, will not get through the Bills and the Chiefs and then the Super Bowl. It's just not happening. It's just so tough for somebody like myself to try and put myself in his shoes and say you're going to forfeit a postseason yeah. appearance. I just don't. I just don't know how you do that, but you do it for millions. All right. Well, let me ask you this: Huntley has an injured shoulder, throwing shoulder. Okay, and Brian Billick was on with us very early in the season. There were a lot of things about Huntley he liked. He liked the fact that he was a more accurate thrower than Lamar Jackson. That he had, you know, a really strong arm. Could throw the ball down the field, even though we know, we've talked about it, they don't have a lot of weapons. Lamar, it's 70% versus Huntley. Are the Ravens better with Lamar at 70 or Huntley at 100? If he is at 100. But let's assume it for a minute. I would argue no, but I. You would argue no. What? Which do you think they're better, with I, Hunt with 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 Lamar at seventy seventy five, and Huntley? Let's call it a hundred. Where are the Ravens a better team, or more dangerous team? You know, honestly, I think they're actually pretty similar. I think they're actually the same, at seventy five percent Lamar, Huntley at one hundred. I think that's a fair comparison. That they're pretty much equal. So I guess you would put in Lamar in that situation, but I don't, if he is hurt, they won't. Like, I, I don't think that there's a, a significant enough drop off, but again, I, maybe they want the leadership there. Maybe they want the, the in between the ears, so to speak. 
I don't know. Uh, that's a tough question. 75% or 75% Lamar versus a 100% Huntley. What do you think? It's about even, right? Or do you think it's less or more? Yeah. I'd still rather play with Lamar if you're giving me the option. Yeah, I mean, like, in between the ears, he's a great leader. Yeah. Well, do you think athletically they they would – because Hundley can run around, and he can – He can scramble, baby. Get those legs out there. I mean, he's – I'm with he's, you. He's not Lamar. He's not the boom, boom, go. But yeah. he he definitely runs the ball. Yeah. He can read the field, make the first read, sometimes the second read, and then he gets the ball out or he runs. Yeah. And that's pretty much what Lamar would be doing, right, at 75%. Like, he doesn't have the same ability to run around and make a guy miss. And then I, I, I do want to say something here that's, that's unrelated to the quarterback issue, but I just feel like has to be addressed before okay. we get to the box lunch. So, Sir Boy Wonder has developed as the Adam Schefter of the off-the-bench YouTube chat in breaking news. <laughs> What the hell's going on? Verbo! Verbo. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. And uh, so Sir Boy Wonder has, has uh, developed as the Adam Schefter of the uh, off the bench chat. But now we have kind of gotten down to a point where we have an Ian Rappaport in the chat. And we're arguing about scooping the scoops first. Right. I love it. <laughs> I love where we're at in the chat. It's a great spot. That. Shout out to everybody uh, in the uh, off the bench chat. And by the way, a couple of uh, news items. Yes. Not only was Demar Hamlin released from a Cincinnati hospital a couple of days ago, today he has just been released from a Buffalo hospital. Yes. Guy's going home. Wow. Thank the Lord. And breaking news: Tua ruled out for wow. the game in Buffalo on Sunday. Playoff game. That's already an 11 point spread. That'll probably go to 13 or 14. Probably. Hopes of Tua coming back. Not going to happen. You heard Tim McGee. He laid it all out there today, man. And that's getting it from the horse's mouth. Fellas, Reed, Trace, how are we doing, men? Great. Doing well. Doing well. Got to get those, those lunch boxes up a little more front and center. You know what I mean? Where people can actually just squint in their eyes and stuff like that to even see it. There you go. Give the pub a little show, show a little pub. Put it right on your right desk. There. Yeah, I'm all in. Move it right up here. When we start to make the shift from now on, you can put one of those in the middle between the two of you and put the other one right here. What's your answer on, on the Lamar and the, the, the question you proposed? I just think there's something to be said. I'm a big believer in hope. I think that Lamar Jackson, even if he only comes out for the first offensive series and shows up, you were at Tim McGee today, even just walking out on the practice field, with the pads on and a pair of sweatpants. I mean, you know, there's something to be said. Doesn't mean they're going to win a game. But there's something to be said for hope. And I think that if Tyler Huntley trots out there or Anthony Brown trots out there, that, you know, the Ravens are going to do all that they do and they play hard and they're tough and their defense is very, very good. They can run the ball. Dobbins is back. Zeitler's back. Andrews is back. They've got a good team. I don't agree with uh, Paul on this. I think if Lamar Jackson's 100%, that team could win a Super Bowl. I think their defense is that good. I think they could. We'll never know. 
because he's not going to be at 100% no matter what. But I think he's got he's to do something this week to put some confidence back uh, into his team and his franchise and his coach and his ownership and, as Tim McGee pointed out, most importantly, his teammates. I think that, that the whole idea that even if they had Lamar, the, the Ravens able to win a Super Bowl, I, I wouldn't go there. I, the Ravens are so depleted on offense that it's just at times you just wonder how there's a team in the NFL that has that poor of weapons around them. Honestly, like Sammy Watkins was, was, was not good in Green Bay. And the other, like last week, I think someone was like, Sammy Watkins is starting for the Ravens at wide receiver. Yep. He just got cut by a team that's not even good, who's searching for offensive weapons, and he's plugged right in the lineup for the Ravens. And I would say this, like if you go back and you look at Super Bowl champions, they all have had wet they've all had at least a couple of like threats on the outside. I mean, I, I I'm not a historian, but if you go back and you look at all the past Super Bowl champions, I'm sure Casey can dig it up. Um as far back as I can remember, there's always been a couple of guys where you're like, yeah, they can hurt us pretty damn bad if we if we don't contain them, whether it's Cooper Cup or you Cooper the, Cup, the, the Odell Co- Beckhams of the world. Going backwards, Cooper Cup, Mike Evans, uh, Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I just, they don't have that. They New don't England have that. Well, I, do I, think I just they think they're structured game. differently. We all agree with that. They're structured they differently. Different all they got to do with the guys that they have is hit two or three of those plays in a game. Now, are they capable of that? I think they're capable of that. Mm-hmm. They can hit two or three of those. And then they got to target Andrews 15 times in a game, right? One of the top five tight ends right, in the league, right. right, when he's healthy. And then they're going to turn around and they're going to hand it off 40 times to keep your offense off the field. And they're going to play good defense when they're on the field. So they're, they're, I know exactly what you're saying. I just think that they are structured differently than other teams are from an offensive standpoint. And a lot of that had to do with the fact of what Jackson was capable of doing, playing to his strengths rather than his weaknesses. And those people in the chat, they're talking about the Ravens' old championship when they had Trent Dilfer and the Buccaneers' championship when they had, um, oh, who was it? Um, was it J- Johnson or Johansson? Yeah, Brad Johnson. Brad, Brad Johnson. Johnson. Not, not Listen, Brad Johansson. Yeah, it's not Brad Johansson. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> Although that – do you know why I'm here? <laughs> uh, I digress. I, the game has changed, folks. The, the, the rules have changed. The whole, the whole way that the league is officiated has changed, and it's all gone in favor of the offense. I don't think you can win a Super Bowl anymore by just – doing what you said if i'm proven wrong i'll admit yes i'm wrong i just think when you face the Bengals or you face the bills or you face the chiefs you you have to be able to find a way to be able to match some of that firepower doesn't mean that you need to score 40 points but i just don't know if this ravens team can consistently even score 24 points okay but i, don't, but I, don't I just put up the can. graphic trace a second ago casey put it up joe burrow last year goes three and one through the playoffs averages 23 a game 23 a game. They were kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns. Couldn't score in the right And that's where Baltimore is better than anybody. Right. When they get a chance to kick a field goal, they're going to make it. If you're in a kicking competition with Yeah, so I'm just saying I I agree with you, Trace, in theory, a thousand percent. But I just think that when you get to the playoffs, 
to get a little tighter. You don't see a lot of 35, 32 kind of, you know what I mean? You don't yeah. see a lot of that. Because these yep. teams are there for a reason, not just because they're great on offense, but they can at least do something. And when you look at the teams, the three primary teams, doesn't mean they're going to be the ones that win it. But the three primary teams uh, that most feel will come out of the AFC, Kansas City is by far the worst on defense of that trio, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I agree. All right. And then you've got Buffalo and Cincinnati that are both very good at limiting teams to field goals rather than touchdowns. That's fair. I don't know. The only other last thing I'll say really quickly, and I don't think that the, the Ravens fans will even have to worry about it, at least obviously in Cincinnati, and obviously all, everybody in this office hopes this is the case. They don't match up well with the Bills at all because the thing that the Ravens do do a lot is they do play like kind of a press man. They do play like kind of a two shell over the top, but a lot of their coverage is based off of man concepts, and you can't do that with Josh Allen. Like, because Josh Allen's just one little sneak through the pocket away from running for 40 yep. or 50 yards. Yep. And that would be a nightmare. Now, you could do that with Burrow because Burrow, although he can scramble and make plays, he's not going to run 20 yards, 20, 30 yards downfield. Right. So, you know, I do think it's a matchup that tends to be as, as, as good of a matchup as the Ravens could have asked for is what they've gotten this weekend. Yep. I will say that. Yep. They're playing a divisional opponent. They're familiar with them. And the, the like it or not, the divisional opponent, the Bengals are a little banged up. And I'm not saying they're on a downtrend, but it certainly doesn't feel like it's bubbly and super, super optimistic going into this week. And it's amazing the difference one player can make in that conversation. Yep. And that's Kappa. If he's back this week, even though an imperfect game last week, I thought the point made by McGee was, was fascinating. I haven't heard anybody else make it. And I haven't made it. Um, is while everyone was talking about Burrow being a little bit off, he also made the point that there were four or five other times where he should have been sacked. That's right. Right? Now, he got away, and you can say, okay, he got away, but you can't have it both ways on that deal. You can't chalk it up to Burrow had a bad game while at the same time not conceding the fact that there were at least three or four times I can remember off the top of my head where he should have been sacked. And how does that change the game? Well, you get numb to greatness, don't you? you like, do. And Joe Burrow, when he's playing great, you get numb to the great plays yep. he makes, the escapability that he has. So you become numb to that. And that was good perspective. Like, yeah, he, he missed some throws, but he certainly made some plays happen early in that ball game, escaping sacks. Tom, you've been around the Cincinnati area for a long time. Cincinnati fans have been wounded birds for as long as as long as I can remember. Both Reds fans, Bengals fans, Bearcat fans, we've been wounded birds for a long time. Okay. And Joe Burrow kind of changed that as long as the Bengals fans front last year by going to the Super Bowl. If the Bengals lose to Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown this Sunday, we go right back to being wounded birds, don't we? There's no doubt. Bad. No doubt. Be a crushing blow to this town would be really bad. It almost seems unthinkable. Well, this is what, you know, and, and, and I just roll my eyes when I hear some guys talking to me. Tim, Tim acknowledge it. When I ask him a question about being considered the number three receiver, two receiver, one receiver, expectations, pressure, all that kind of, he just talked about it. And when you hear athletes and, and when I hear the guys, oh, you know, there's no additional, you know, that is total BS. When the guys say, I don't feel more pressure. 
there is a lot more pressure on this Bengals team going into the playoffs this year mm -hmm. than there was last year. No Expectations through the roof. Yep. Even the way they finished last year to get into the playoffs, they still lost, what, seven games last year, right? They were 10 and seven? Yeah. Yeah. Right? They lost seven games. <clears throat> this year they've lost four, and I think we all agree they could have easily lost just one. I mean, really. Right. They should have beaten Pittsburgh. Should have. They should have beaten Dallas. Should have. And they should have beat the Ravens the first time they played them. The only game they got smoked in boat race was the Halloween game, the last game they lost this year in Cleveland. No doubt. The expectations are huge. Uh, and the Ravens, if they don't have Lamar Jackson, uh, there are no excuses whatsoever. Not Kappa not being there. Not Collins not being there. This is a team. The Bengals are better than the Ravens. The expectations and the pressure, uh, both are there. They've got to win this game. Have to. I mean, if, if, you're a, if you're a Bengals fan, though, you can at least feel some comfort in knowing that every time he's needed to step up and rise to the occasion, Joe Burrow has done that every time in his career. No not doubt. Just, not just in the NFL. He did it in college as well. Every time you thought that the stage was too bright or, or, or you thought maybe there was something that was going to rattle him, He's never done it, not one single time. Now, could it happen? Maybe. But that's the one thing that you can always fall back on. Yeah, you can say you're, you're wounded birds and it would, it would hurt like hell. Of course it would hurt. But at the end of the day, like you finally have something in this town that you have honestly, I don't know if you've ever had. Now, I don't, I don't know enough about Boomer and that whole era. It's and, a similar and, and feeling. You have all the players similar. and all the weapons. But, you have the whole nine yards. But for the first time, it feels as if no matter what happens, the surroundings of the situation, no matter what happens, as long as number nine is healthy and he's behind center, you have a fighting chance against anybody. And that's the thing that, that, that I just keep leaning back on because I do think this is a terrible matchup for the Bengals. I think it's one of those situations where it's just going to feel like it's an ugly mess for, for all four quarters. And it's going to feel like maybe one or two plays, and you hope they're not fluke plays that make the difference to where it's like, whether it's a fumble that, yeah. that squirts out and somebody picks it up and runs it all the way in for a touchdown or something crazy happens like in the Dolphins-Bills game. Or where, the Pittsburgh game. Or, or, years yeah, or, ago. or the Pittsburgh game week one where you're like, you I know mean, what? I mean, a playoff game. Crazy stuff. Fumbling Even the ball that, when you had it away. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just – that's how – that's the only way I can envision the Ravens winning this game is if it's like 17-14 or it's 9-6, to six, something stupid to where for whatever reason that offense can't get it clicking – and the Ravens did rest a lot of guys. I mean, we could sit here and act like, you know, it was a fluke last week that they jumped up to that early lead and then it got somewhat tight towards the end. But let's face it, like, the Ravens had a chance middle of that third quarter with that backup quarterback, with all those guys sitting, to march down the field. Now, I know you could say, oh, they didn't, Trace. They could have marched down the field and made it a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. So I'm just saying, like, and I'm not saying Bengal fans are overly confident. I haven't really met too many of them. But if you can just survive this game, I do think things bode well for the Bengals movement. I forward. agree. I agree. And, and you and I are in the same camp everybody is on number nine. He'll be ready to play when the lights come on Sunday night. All right, boys. Uh, Case, Paul, gracias. Thank you, Tom. Brandon. Boy, that's a long ride with that stash through February. Ooh, boy. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, time for box lunch. The stage is yours.